gardeners are, in general, a benevolent species, but there is something that we might do that uh, we shouldn't do that might be harmful, and that is introducing potentially invasive plants to our garden, especially if we live next to parkland or woodlands or or prairies. And you're going to learn a lot more about that on today's show with my guest, Sylvan Kaufman, on invasive plants. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'm so happy to be with you again, to be here, and especially I'm excited to talk to Sylvan Kaufman, who is an expert on invasive plants. She lectures around the country and she helps start groups to fight invasive plants, give advice to people as a consultant on dealing with invasive plants and other aspects of gardening and horticulture. But... Uh, the invasive plant issue is an issue that we really can revisit and visit and revisit again because it's something that's ongoing and not getting a whole lot better. What is, well, what is an invasive species? Well, an invasive species is something that's non-native, an exotic plant or animal or seeds whose introduction causes some economic harm, environmental harm, Often people say harm to humans, harm to human health. The term for the term invasive is used for the most aggressive species, species that spread rapidly, that grow and reproduce quickly, and they cause ma- major disturbances to the areas that they invade. But invasive species, if left uncontrolled, can also l- limit land use and forever can change the soil makeup, kill native species. For example, in the case of the snakes in Florida and in Hawaii that eat native animals. And many of the threatened or endangered species of animals and plants that we have in our country are at risk because of non-native invasive species taking over habitat. Uh, In the case of some plants drying up wetlands, purple loosestrife, lifts wetlands right out of the water, and they have, uh, even though they're herbaceous plants, they're soft-tissued and they die to the ground every year. They have very woody stems, as you might know as a gardener trying to get rid of that plant if you have it. It has a, a stem that's really almost like, I mean, roots that are almost like trees, tree roots, and they're hard to get rid of, but get rid of them we must, and we should, of course, never buy them. But I hardly ever see them for sale, purple loosestrife, for example, for sale at nurseries. But there are plenty of other potentially hazardous plants, Norway maple, chameleon plant, uh, goutweed. Oh my gosh, goutweed, agipodium, the variegated one. I see that for sale everywhere. And even the solid green one. And if you plant that plant, you will have it forever. I know one gardener who dug up and sifted all the soil in her garden beds because she had planted what was sold as marsh marigold, and it turned out to be ranunculus repens or ranunculus fricaria. And uh, she managed to get rid of most of it. And uh, economic losses, we don't think about that too much, but it's been estimated that loss to controlling invasives and to crops 
reaches somewhere around $140 billion a year in the U.S. Well, you'll find out more from Sylvan Kaufman. Sylvan Kaufman is a consultant, teacher, and writer covering topics from basic botany to ecology to invasive plant control. And Sylvan, I know you are an expert on invasive plants, and that's what I'd like to talk to you about. Uh, invasive plants, which includes weeds or things that you don't want. <laughs> uh, and well, first of all, what are invasive plants? How do you how do you define invasive plants? Well, I define invasive plants as plants that have been introduced from somewhere else that uh, become a problem in the landscape. In other words, they are able to grow on their own without uh, human help, and they spread rapidly, and they tend to cause really severe problems for native plants and animal species that grow where the native plants are taking hold. Well, if you have a, a native plant that is aggressive or a thug like um, trumpet vine or poison ivy, you don't you don't lump them together with invasive plants. No, and it is an interesting distinction um, because certainly, when a native plant becomes a thug in certain conditions, it could cause some of the same problems as an invasive plant. But because it has always been here, it tends to, even if it is a thug, it still tends to provide more in the way of habitat or food for wildlife than an invasive plant would. Mm, I see. Uh, so why are invasives such a problem? Well, they cause many different problems. Uh, some plants, of course, they form pretty much monocultures and they displace native plant species. And uh, and um, by doing, and when they do that, they decrease the habitat for wildlife and they change the food sources that are available for wildlife. They can also actually change soil properties by releasing um, more nitrogen into the soil or when their leaves decay, they change the pH of the soil and that can cause a lot of problems. Uh, some of them change the hydrology of different areas and they change fire regimes. So that can uh, actually permanently change a plant community in some areas. Well, some of these invasive plants, although they're exotics to us, they, they must be native somewhere, and I guess they're not really problems in the places where they came from. Yeah, that's true. Some of them are considered weeds in their home country. A weed is basically a plant that is out of place in some place where a human doesn't want it. So uh, an invasive plant, though, occurs without the help of humans. So uh, although in some cases they are weeds, a lot of times um, they aren't. And in some cases, they can actually be a, a rare plant in their, in their home country. And what happens is that in their home country, the other plants around them are adapted to competing with them, and there might be more insects and animals that view that plant as food. And when they're brought over to uh, a new place, then none of the insects and animals really recognize that plant as being food, and the other plants around them aren't used to competing with them. Well, I know that you know some lots of stories, horror stories, uh, and a, most of the invasive species that I guess have gotten here either by accident or or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot that have come by accident, like um, mile-a-minute vine and um, phragmites, but there are quite a few that are also introduced as ornamental plants. One of the examples I like to use this time of year is purple loosestrife because it's flowering now and occurs um, throughout much of the 
northeastern United States and is sort of recently become established where I live in Maryland. And it's one that was brought over both accidentally and deliberately because it first showed up on uh, ballast heaps where ships used to dump the rocks from their holds and seeds from purple loosestrife would be in that mix of uh, rocks and soil that the ships dumped. But then it was also introduced as an ornamental plant in the 1800s because it has such pretty flowers. And it's the flower that you see uh, in a lot of wetlands where it, it, right now it will be sort of magenta or purple-colored. And I guess in its homeland there's something that eats it or uh, slows it down to a certain extent that we don't have here. Right, right. And scientists have actually introduced a couple insect species to try to slow the spread of purple loosestrife here. Well, how do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have mixed feelings about it. They have um, become much more careful about introducing insect biocontrol uh, species is what they call them. But um, So now they do a lot of tests to make sure that the insects that they introduce won't eat any of the native plants. But it's still always a, a risk because uh, insects evolve and they can become adapted to eating other species. But on the other hand, it is one of the most effective ways of slowing the spread of really widespread species like purple loosestrife. In my area, uh, people are not really, they're not really aware of invasive species. They don't seem to care about them. I, I know that almost every state has some kind of invasive species group or organization or even government agency, but uh, they seem to be missing a lot of opportunities in the northwest corner of New Jersey. And uh, if you go to Michigan and people, and you're driving around, people will go, oh, that's horrible when they see purple loosestrife. But in the northwest corner of New Jersey, they get out of their cars and take pictures because it's so <laughs> beautiful. What can we do? Is it just a matter of education? Well, it is, but how, how can we get the word out? Yeah, I think that um, becoming aware of what the invasive species are in your area is very important. And there are lots of resources for, um, for finding out information both on the web and through books. So I think that's one uh, that each person individually has to take some responsibility. But then also I think it's important for those invasive species groups to, um, to be at local festivals and to be at local parks where people are going to see invasive plants and to start uh, trying to reach out to the public more. Well, that's a really good idea. Um, uh, what do you think about legislating? Do you, I mean, I know there's so much, I'm hesitant because there's so much government in, in our lives that, we, you know, a lot of people are pretty upset about that. But when I go to a nursery and see so many plants that I know are, that people are going to spend the rest of their lives trying to get rid of, and they're there for sale, and I want to just scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens to me a lot, too. Um, I have mixed feelings about it as well. I think that um, in some, there are some plants that are so bad that they probably should be regulated, and most states do have a noxious weed list which prevents the sale and distribution of certain plant species, but generally those species are agricultural weeds instead of being uh, ornamental plants. Um, but on the other hand, I think uh, what might be what might be more acceptable is to uh, to get nursery owners to essentially police themselves and put um, more burden on them to decide what is an acceptable species or not an acceptable species. And then also, if 
customers stop demanding um, in plants that are invasive, then the nursery owners won't sell them anymore because there won't be a market for them. So I think maybe a combination of educating the public and getting um, nursery owners more involved in the issue uh, and some government regulation might be a way to go. I'm speaking with Sylvan Kaufman, who is an expert on invasive species, and we're we're talking about different ways that we can maybe enlighten people a little bit. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. You're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'll be back in a moment. Clem Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello, and thank you for staying with me. My guest today is Sylvan Kaufman, an expert on invasive species. We're talking about invasive plants. And Sylvan and I are, well, we're holding back our tears, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. As you're sp- talking, I'm just thinking about the stilt grass. So it's, it's, it's just, I'm obsessing over that. And and uh, Hutonia, chameleon plant, because as soon as I was talking about the nurseries, I see that everywhere. I see it online. And goutweed. I guess if you're a gardener and you plant something and then you realize that it's been 10 years and you can't get rid of it, you start to get a little enlightened about invasive plants. And I always tell gardeners, too, that one of the worst things that they can do is to introduce a potentially invasive plant, especially if they know that it's potentially invasive. <laughs> yeah, although a lot of gardeners end up using those as their pass-along plants. but <laughs> Yeah, I call them pass-along yeah. pests. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, it, gardeners, you know, you always want the, the most interesting latest plant, but it is really important to look at how that plant does in your landscape and to learn about uh, where it where it grows in other places and how it does in uh, in other gardeners, what uh, what experiences other gardeners have had with that plant, because you really don't want to end up with a plant that's going to take over your landscape and then jump over into the park next door. Yeah. So. But you can guess a little bit about what might be a problem plant. You know, if it's a if you see something advertised that says it's going to make a ground cover in only a year or leaps over buildings <laughs> overnight, uh, you know, these are the plants to watch out for. Yeah, and, you know, some of the names of invasive plants like mile-a-minute vine or um, princess tree palaunia uh, has some funny names which refer to how quickly it grows. And so those are the plants that you should really be cautious of. But, you know, there are other plants which it always annoys me when they market them because they say this is a great wildlife plant. Uh, things like oriental bittersweet or um, some of the shrub honeysuckles. And they'll they'll advertise advertise it as being a great bird plant. Well, birds will visit those plants, but the birds are going to spread the seeds of those plants to many other areas, and um, they're going to displace plants that provide um, a much more diverse range of foods and higher quality foods for birds and wildlife. So I think particularly for gardeners who are not just interested in pretty plants, but are also interested in in nature as a whole and in attracting pollinators and butterflies and uh, and animals to their yard uh, should be particularly careful about what they plant in their yard, not be drawn in by the hype. Well, you're exactly right. And I think that 
we don't think so much about coevolution. We don't think about the animals and plants that came up together and how important it is to supply something for those plants. And I think in the case of berries, there's lots of options. But it, in the case of a plant like butterfly bush, there aren't a lot of things that are exactly like butterfly bush. I can't think of anything that's that's a shrub that attracts as many butterflies. As, and it's such a beautiful plant and it's easy to grow. But it's an invasive species. and people are starting to, I think some states are, I don't know if they're banning it, but they're, they're putting it on their don't plant lists. Um, I, finding native plants, local plants, to replace potentially invasive plants, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I used to work at Adkins Arboretum, which specializes in providing native plants here in Maryland. And, um, and there are many nurseries now that are specializing more and more in native plants. Um, there are also uh, botanic gardens that specialize in providing native plants to the public. So I think they are a really important um, thing to add to your garden uh, and to create an area for native plants in your in your garden, in your landscape. Um, they do tend to provide, to be a host plant for certain butterfly species and to provide seeds that the birds rely on. Um, Doug Tallamy's book, Bringing Nature Home, really pointed out the importance of um, native plants in providing uh, food and, and habitat for wildlife and birds and insects. And so um, that's it's really critical to add those plants to your landscape and basically to use your backyard as um, a link to all the natural areas around you. Well, we've been talking about plants, of course. But as you're saying wildlife, I'm thinking of also invasive species that are animals. Uh, we can't always do anything about it, but if, if maybe if we talk about that, people will realize that things like gypsy moth, that they know are problems, that there's a correlation with plants that could be a problem too. And I guess uh, another thing is if it hits people in their pocketbooks, that tends to wake them up a little bit. And uh, I know that invasive species they do affect us economically. Yes, that's right. Uh, I, I used the example of purple loosestrife earlier and the costs of uh, controlling that and the loss to of um, the losses it creates in wildlife habitat add up to about $45 million a year, according to, um, to some research articles. And so invasive plants, and that's just one invasive plant. And so you can imagine the cost that all invasive plants add up to in, um, in the cost of control and in the uh, cost to um, not just control, but also the more intangible things like, uh, like what we're doing to wildlife or how we're changing soils and things like that. Well, when people see purple loosestrife and they say, well, you know, what's the problem? Why is it a bad thing? And uh, and I always start with only one plant can exist in one place at one time, and that <laughs> and that plant is the source of food for some specific animal, which is the source of food for some other animal, and ultimately it leads to hu leads to humans. A lot of the invasive species things that I read, it's all about humans, 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 and I just think about those insects and then the birds eat the insects and it's important to think of everything of course to think of the whole earth and the whole world and if you care about green and if you care about the earth you have to really be on the lookout for invasive plants but what can i do about my stilt grass 
Silkgrass is a huge problem on the East Coast now, and that was one that was introduced uh, accidentally. They think it was brought over. Um, it was used as a packaging material for porcelain, actually. But um, for silkgrass, it depends on how much of it you have. If you have a small, it is an annual grass, and so if you have a small area, you can actually hand pull it. And if you do that for a couple years, you'll probably get rid of it. But it does have, it does keep a seed bank for a while. The seeds will stay in the soil and germinate each year. Mm. Um, but if you can't do that, then uh, if it's in an area where you can mow, you can uh, mow it so that the um, that it won't produce seeds. You have to mow it pretty low, though, to get it not to do that. Otherwise, there are some herbicides that are specific to grasses that you can try. But again, you have to be cautious with herbicides because a lot of times uh, stilt grass will be growing near a stream or a waterway, and you, and you have to uh, be careful about what herbicides you use near water. Well, I've watched stiltgrass take over not just my own garden, but the area of my county, and it's growing on all the the sides of the road, and then it crept into the woodland, and you can look at the woods now, and there's nothing but stiltgrass. There's nothing growing there. First, the deer ate things like trillium, but now the stiltgrass, it, it grows in dry shade, it grows in moist shade, it grows in sun. It's uh, going to take over my world, it feels like. <laughs> It is a really awful one, and it's and it's an example of a plant that uh, changes the soil conditions. And they think that it actually may uh, lead to it may it make it easier for other invasive plants to invade. So, although you have stiltgrass now, you might end up with you know a combination of barberry and stiltgrass next. So, so they should make horror movies about this. <laughs> they, right, right. <laughs> I think there has been one that was made, but not enough of them. Not enough of them. Uh, how do you think I can, what can I do to alert my county or to get maybe some some of the local people who mow the sides of the road to pay attention to this? Is there anything I can do? Well, you can certainly try contacting your local highway department or uh, county planner or um, it, it sort of depends on who your county agents are. And right now, with the economy the way it is, most of them are so understaffed that it's very difficult for them to deal with new problems. But there are some easy things, like stiltgrass especially is one that's spread through road equipment. And so if you can convince your county road maintenance people to wash their equipment uh, after each use, then it might reduce the future spread of stiltgrass a little bit. So things like that can be really important. And then, of course, even... Um, you know, thinking of other thing, ways that stiltgrass and other invasive plants are spread, hikers can also spread it. Yeah. And you have to personally be careful about, you know, cleaning your shoes off after you've taken a hike and things like that. Well, it's been great to talk to you, although I want to cry a little bit. But <laughs> uh, I, I also am energized and I'm going to do something about it. I'm, I hope those Department of uh, Highway people don't give me a hard time when I ask them to wash their equipment, but I'm going to try. I'll see what happens. Is there anything you'd like to add before we have to leave? Well, I, I don't want to leave people feeling too pessimistic about the future of invasive species. It is an incredibly serious problem, but I do think the public is starting to realize what a problem it is and local governments are as well. So hopefully uh, people will start taking more notice, and, and we won't be introducing as many new invasive species, at least. I hope so. I'm going to provide a link to your website on my on the kendrewsrealdirt.com website so people can learn more <clears throat> about invasive plants and meet you and learn more about you. And I know you speak all around the country, and uh, 
Keep up the great work. <laughs> Thanks very much. You're so welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, now we all have to do something about this. We, of course, should not introduce potentially hazardous plants ourselves to our gardens. That whole notion of pass-along plants, if it's easy to propagate, if you have too much of it, don't give it away. Throw it away. Don't even put it on the compost pile. Get rid of it. If there's something that you're desperate to grow, something that reproduces uh, maybe by falling over and rooting into the ground, a lot of viney things do that, things that don't reproduce by seed, grow them in a pot, grow them in containers. If they can't live through the winter outdoors in a container, well, maybe you shouldn't have that plant. Uh, well, we have to do what we can. We have to talk to our legislators. We have to talk to the Parks Administration. We have to talk to the Department of Transportation. Can you imagine getting everyone who visits a state or national park to sterilize their shoes when they exit? I don't think so. How about their car tires? Well, join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. <laughs> <laughs>